you guys be nice and eat those muffins. Because I don't need to take home the muffins. I have a bit of regret from Thanksgiving. Anyone have any Thanksgiving regret? Just a little, maybe a little. Some of you don't. Some of y'all skinny people don't. Another thing, the benefit dinner for Donnie Easter is today. Um, in, and if you can't make it out to the dinner and you want to make a donation to, to that cause, let me know. Or just you know mark something and drop it in the box. We'll make sure he gets it. Donnie is doing radiation five days a week. He's got to drive down to Winston five days a week. So we're trying to help him. We're going to help him with some gas money on that. Do what we can. As Lucy says, welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. It's a blessing to see you. I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. I hope you got to spend some time with people that you love, people that you care about, and food that you love, too. I don't know. Uh, what do you, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Elijah says cranberry sauce. He ate all the cranberry sauce. Pumpkin pie, turkey, gravy. My blood type is gravy. My love language is potatoes. So, dirty rice. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's more of a farther south thing. Um, turkey, gravy, ham. Turkey or ham? What do you think? Turkey? turkey. Ham? Turkey. Why would we choose? It's like saying, which kid's your favorite? That's not right. Jesus, you know, gave us this new covenant where we're, we can eat all that good pork and it's, it's good stuff. So, Before we get too sidetracked, I just want to... Want us to tell the whole world, remember, because people listen all over the world um, through our podcast. I mean, there's been some countries that I did not expect, you know, places in Africa, places in South America, places in Asia that listen to our podcast. I don't even know what to do with it. Um, you know, shout out if you're in a foreign country, <laughs> try to reach out to us and let us know. So let's remind them what we do every week. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. You know, nearly everything that's big starts small. A river starts as a raindrop or maybe one snowflake. A house starts with the first brick or to be more technical, probably the the first shovel full of dirt that's moved for the foundation. A massive truck coming off an assembly line starts with the first weld, putting two pieces of the frame together. Every human life starts as one little cell and becomes 30 or 40 trillion cells. That's a lot of cells. I have more cells than I did before Thanksgiving, I think. Every, just, okay. Thanks, Billy. Every, every great story begins with the first line. Every relationship starts with the first interaction. Katie and I started our relationship with a smoked turkey sub on Italian with tomato, mayonnaise, and lettuce. She came into the place where I was working, and she ordered a sub. And it wasn't Subway. Subway is not a sponsor of this message. <laughs> it was out here at Donnie's place. It was TNT Grocery. I met my wife out there. And she came in, and uh, I don't remember what her voice sounded like that day, because I don't think she said anything because she was too shy, but those beautiful brown eyes spoke to my heart in a way that I haven't been able to forget. Let's have some more of that. I like That's good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hear that, Katie? 
Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't do anything. I've been good. I've been so good. I'm in. What are you? What are you talking about? Did I do something wrong? Don't get her thinking, Duncan. Don't ask someone's wife if they've done something wrong. They'll think of something. Chill out, brother. I wouldn't do that to you. Come on, solidarity. Welcome one and loved and all that. Come on. So what starts small can grow into something much bigger than we might dream. That's not just a good concept. That's a God concept. God loves to start with something small and grow it into something big. Today we're going to look at one of the most famous illustrations, illustrations that Jesus ever gave about this, this concept of something small becoming something big. We're in Mark chapter 4 in our study. And four words that are going to help us keep us centered today are these. Small seed, big tree. Small seed, big tree. Help me out. Small seed, big tree. Okay, so let's get to it. Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 30. I'll read this for us and then we'll pray. Then Jesus said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It's like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Heavenly Father, there's some simple but powerful truth here and I I pray you'll open up our hearts to it and we'll see that we might be small but we're called to be a part of something big in Jesus name amen so this is a parable Jesus used parables as a way to explain big concepts using common concepts big ideas common themes at the time when Jesus spoke people understood all about mustard seeds and mustard plants and not as much today when you hear the word mustard you think of hot dogs the stuff you put on a hot dog or 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 if you're from around here you put that there potted meat on a saltine cracker put a little mustard on it anybody else i see some heads nod some of y'all get it and if you're real smart you turn the salty side of the saltine down so that salt hits you right on the tongue it's good stuff some of you are thinking, thinking, okay, Michael, I see you need to improve your eating habits and you would be completely, completely right. But mustard plants and seeds are, are something different. You know, the mustard seed, I might have a picture of them. Could you flip forward to maybe one? Okay, those might be something like a mustard seed, what it looks like. Um, of course, Nearly 20 centuries after Jesus spoke these words, it's a little more difficult to pin down exactly what plant species he's talking about. It's common names vary across cultures, but the best guess is he's talking about a black mustard plant, and the seeds look something like this. They're little bitty round black seeds, and they they grow into a green plant. This black mustard was grown in gardens in Israel. They would eat the leaves like a salad or a a green and the seeds would be turned into seasoning so jesus is he's exaggerating to make a point here he's using that uh, method it's called hyperbole he's doing some hyperbole here and he's he's exaggerating to make a bigger point the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed in the whole world 
but it is very small, and it was the smallest seed that was commonly planted in gardens in Israel. It was the smallest seed that they were really familiar with. And it did not grow into the biggest herb in the whole wide world, but it was the biggest one that grew in their gardens normally. It was familiar. Um, it might have grown even 10 or 20 feet tall with sturdy enough branches for birds to make nests in. So it was different than the, the wild mustard that grows around here. The exact identity of the species is not that important. The exact size of the mustard seed, not really that important here. The exact height of the specimen of this mustard plant is not all that important. It's the core concept of something surprisingly big coming from something surprisingly small. In our culture, in our region, where we're from, here in the States... If you said that a big oak tree comes from a little acorn, that's pretty much the same concept, right? We understand that something humongous, something beautiful, something useful, something that provides uh, uh, shade and shelter and, and useful things like wood grows out of something very small, an acorn. All the glory of the oak is written into the acorn. So, small seed, big tree. Small seed, big tree. The Jesus movement was and is that small seed that became a big tree. Incredibly humble beginnings. Jesus wasn't born into wealth or power or privilege. He came into this world surrounded by the smell of straw and livestock and the stuff that comes out of livestock when they eat the straw. That's the world that he was born into. He ne his family was poor. He's just a poor boy from a poor family. Spare him his life from this monstrosity. That's, that's a quote. That's not from the Bible. It's from another thing. <laughs> that's from something else. Uh, Jesus never held a political office. He never held an earthly title. He did his work in a backwater region of the world that nobody cared about. And his life and his death were, were largely unnoticed by the wider world until it was all over. His followers were common people. Regular people. Some of his followers came out of, yeah, were a real mess. And, you know, really had come out of lives that were destructive and people who who were had been prostitutes and people who struggled with alcoholism and drinking and people who had just made so many self-destructive decisions and yet they found life and hope and peace in jesus it generally was not and has never been the rich and the powerful who have become followers of jesus now have the rich and the powerful used the idea, used religion as a way to control you? Absolutely. But you look in the New Testament and you see the people who flock to Jesus are just, are just people. They're people like us. People with everyday struggles. People who realize they need something more than themselves. Jesus' core team had virtually no formal education. One of the accusations leveled at the apostles is that they had never been to school. They, you know, they're uneducated and unlearned men, it is said. 
thousands of people followed Jesus at times because they wanted to see the miracles, right? They wanted to see people get healed and all that exciting stuff and, you know, stuff like, you know, the breaking of the bread and the loaves and the fishes and all that's that's really cool but then jesus would start saying some things that held them accountable and people didn't like that so they kind of went away then his closest companions ran away from him when he was arrested all of them and he was publicly executed after only about three and a half years of teaching now to put that in perspective The ministry of Jesus on earth from the time he began at his baptism until the crucifixion and resurrection, the whole thing took only about as long as we have been renting this building on the corner. That doesn't seem right, does it? It feels like such a short amount of time. Now, of course, a good chunk of the time we've been in this building, we weren't in the building. We were outside in a parking lot and doing outside ministry because of covid but it puts it into perspective, doesn't it? It was such a short little period of time in history. After the crucifixion and the resurrection, there were only 120 people who were committed enough to gather in Jesus' name. In that upper room, if you read Acts chapter 1, just 120 of them. You know, we've almost had 120 people here once or twice. Not today. It's rainy today. People don't want to, people are made out of sugar. So God bless you. If you ain't here and you listen to the podcast, we miss you today. We pray for everybody to get here when they can. But it doesn't sound like a lot, does it? 120 would be a lot for us. But it, it doesn't sound like enough to turn the world upside down. Or does it? Because that's just what they did. They turned the world upside down, starting with a small handful of people. And get this, today on earth, There's well over a billion people who would self-identify as Christian. Now we'll get real for a second. You start asking them what they really believe and, you know, start saying, hey, this stuff that Jesus taught, are you doing this, you doing that? Do you really believe in this, this, this? And that percentage drops way, way down. But still, there's a lot of people who have heard about Jesus and there's a lot of people who have believed and Um, The world has never seen anything like it, like this Jesus movement that started out of such obscurity and became this small seed that became a big tree. Despite two millennia of persecution, despite countless attempts to stamp it out, the kingdom still grows, the kingdom still thrives, and we get to be a part of it. From that small, small seed It's become this spreading tree. Small seed, big tree. Okay, what else do we see in this parable? We see some birds, right? Some birds. The last bird I saw was turkey. Did not have its feathers. Did anybody have a little leftover turkey before they left for church this morning? Just me? Oh, y'all done ate it all. Thank you, Lucy. So what about these birds? What are these birds here? The birds could be interpreted a number of ways. The birds could represent people who have found salvation in Jesus. Hey, thank God for salvation, right? Absolutely. The greatest work of the kingdom is introducing people to Jesus. I mean, that's our heartbeat of who we are. We want 
people to to meet this Jesus guy because we really believe it's going to make a difference. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. And the biggest thing we want for you and for everybody is to move a little closer to Jesus because that won't fix all your problems, but it is the path to a meaningful life, a life that makes sense, a life of fulfillment. It's with Jesus. So these birds... Some people interpret them to say, "Ah, that must be people who are coming to be saved. Well, it's true that people came to be saved, but I don't think that's what the birds are. If you consider how birds are used in biblical symbolism in the Bible as a whole, they probably don't represent believers. The tree represents the believers. This big spreading plant. You see, the, the kingdom of Jesus isn't made out of territory. It's not made out of dirt or water or land the kingdom of jesus is made out of people if you have trusted in jesus as savior you're the kingdom you and i if we're believers we're the tree that's us that that small seed that became a big tree we're part of the tree that's who we are we're the kingdom we're the part of that small seed that became a big tree. So what about these birds? These birds, I believe, are people and groups that have taken refuge under this big tree of the Jesus movement. People who have been blessed and protected and sheltered by Jesus followers, even if they weren't necessarily part of it. The kingdom of Jesus blesses people even people who don't believe. Now, I know what maybe you're thinking here. If you're like an objective person, you're like, okay, preacher, I know that. Maybe that's right in theory, but I've met some Jesus people who weren't such a blessing to me. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hand and ask if, if you know any rude church people because we all know some rude church people or some some church people who have treated us in ways that that we feel is, is not right it's it's bad you could come up with a list of of so-called christians who have made more life more difficult for you people who don't seem to bless or protect or shelter those who are different from, or even sometimes even those who are just like them but that should be the exception look let's remember this even really saved people can get it really wrong. Here I am, and here you are. If you're a really saved person, there's going to be days where the people who encounter you will wonder. Now, we want those days to be very few. We want to act like we're supposed to act. But even really, really saved people can do some things they should not do. And if you realize, hold up, I'm not acting so saved right now, then you need to go to God and make that right. And you might need to go to some people and make that right. And then there's this other part that we should not miss, that anybody can claim to be a Christian. Anybody can claim to be a Christian, but it doesn't necessarily mean they know Christ. The proof is in how they live it out. Man, I'm always a little wigged out when some high-profile celebrity claims they're a christian and i'm like oh gosh i hope this is for real i hope they don't just hang around for a few minutes and then they're like back to it like what's kanye up to these days i don't know there was kanye went jesus for a little while 
And I don't know if Kanye's still on Team Jesus. I have not kept up with Kanye West. But I, I, hope, I hope he is, but probably not. I, hope, I don't know. Look, I want to stand before you and tell you with all my heart that historically, Jesus' people, the church, has been a blessing to the world. Now, I know I'm going to get some pushback on that one from some people. Maybe not y'all, but there's going to be some pushback and to say, well, what about, what about all those years when the institution of the church was persecuting people and, and all of that? Well, you know what? You've you got a good reason to, to be concerned. Through the centuries, there have been lots of powerful people who have used Christianity as an excuse for conquering and, and persecuting and manipulating to their own advantage. That absolutely has happened and maybe is still happening in some places. Things like the Crusades, things like the Inquisition, and genocides, and covering up of all sorts of horrible abuses. That has happened. But... You won't find any justification for that in the New Testament. Zero. Zero. You will not find any justification for conquering your neighbor in the New Testament. You won't. That is not the church. There is an insurmountable separation between Christianity and Christendom. Get it? Those are two different things. Christendom, you know, that kind of that history of Europe where, where the church was very powerful. Man, that, that wasn't a church. That was, that, was, that was a bully that had an I Love Jesus t-shirt on, but was still a bully. Lots of people criticize the abuses of, quote, the church through the years. And if you mean, quote, the church as a political entity or a power broker, man, I agree with you. But I absolutely insist that was not and is not the church. That is not the church of Jesus not the movement of life and hope and transformation begun by Jesus. Just human greed and human lust for power wearing a crucifix. That's all that is. That is not the true church. That does not represent Christ. Real Jesus people have been making an incredible impact on the world, blessing the world, not just other Jesus people, but people outside the kingdom too. All right, all right, all right. Imagine a world where... There are some, a few health clinics for folks who are super rich, but common folks have no access to professional medical care. None. Because that's the way the world was before the Jesus movement. The idea of hospitals, as we understand them, did not exist until they were born out of the hearts of Jesus' followers. There were no hospitals. Jesus' people created the first hospitals. Look up the Byzantine Empire. I am not defending what the Byzantine Empire did, by the way. But there were Jesus' people there who took advantage of the laws at the time to form what we now know as hospitals. No hospitals without those Jesus' people. What about babies and children? Do you like babies and children? Man, I love them. They're so sweet, so cute. You see the little ones coming through here. Then they talk. That's hey, we're talking about babies and children. We're not talking about when they get to be teenagers. That's a different thing. They're just so little and cute. I see little Maggie come through here with her big brown eyes. And what do you do? You just give that child everything. How do you discipline a child that cute? I don't know. Love babies. 
Love kids. Do you believe strongly that babies and children should be protected? Do you understand that that was not a commonly held value before Jesus' people? We think of it as a cultural value, that we've always been this way. You, of course you always protect babies and children. It ain't always been that way, folks. For a huge chunk of human history, it wasn't that way. In Rome, the center of civilization at the time, it was very common for unwanted babies and children to just be left out in the streets. And it wasn't even illegal. You had a kid you didn't want? Or you had that sass mouth kid? I don't know about that part, but maybe. You had a kid that had an issue or a disability or something? You just leave him out in the street. And nobody cared. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a shameful thing. You didn't have to hide. It's like, nah. Nope. Got a dud this time. It's horrible. It's awful. And if these kids were lucky, they died. If they were unlucky, they were captured by these human traffickers and sold into a lifetime of slavery or prostitution. And that was widely accepted in the culture. It was even viewed as a necessity in order for the Roman Empire to have enough slaves. That's amazing that all these years later, despite all of our insistence on being modern and civilized, the disposal of children is still justified as a cultural necessity. In Rome, Jesus' followers were brokenhearted about this. Said, man, these kids, they're leaving out these kids to die. We, what are we going to do? Now you would say, well, they should, they should form a committee. They should form a political action committee, and they should march on the Capitol. Well, okay, well, you're, you're thinking of what you'd do in America because you got rights. They didn't have any rights. If they marched, if they protested, they would just die. That's all. Rome didn't put up with nobody protesting. You just, got, you just got killed. That's it. So instead of writing the congressman, they didn't have no congressman. They didn't have any of that. You know what they did? They went out and they got those babies. And they gave them a place to live. And they put them with families. And they adopted them. And they loved them. And they raised the kids that nobody wanted. That's what they did. And through their influence of Jesus' people, finally... Rome decided it wasn't okay to just abandon babies in the street anymore. That was Jesus' people who did that. That was the love of Jesus coming out through his people. So, oh yes, I mean, you can look through the centuries and you can attribute all sorts of horrible things to, quote, the church as some sort of institution or power broker. Man, let's see what the real church is doing. They're saving babies. That's what they're doing. You believe in things like Helping the homeless, homeless shelters, nursing homes for elderly people who can't take care of themselves anymore, providing burial for those who can't afford burial, helping those who are poor, providing assistance, helping them out of their situation. You believe in programs that provide support and care for the disabled and elderly. Understand that those sorts of things didn't exist before Jesus' people brought them into existence. So yeah, we can pick out, well, that church person was mean to me. Yep, they sure were, but they weren't being the church right then. When Jesus' people are really being the church, man, does it change the world. It changes everything. We can pretty much universally agree that slavery was and remains a bad thing, right? Virtually all 
of the most influential abolitionists in England and America were determined to end slavery because of their Christian convictions. Ah, someone's going to say, ah, preacher, don't you know that there were some of those, a lot of those slaveholders claimed to be Christians? What about that? Yeah, what about that? Were there people who claimed to be Christians who propped up the evils of slavery? Yep, there were. Wait a minute, didn't, didn't some of them use the Bible to justify them owning slaves, people? They sure did. But did they do so based on a correct interpretation of the Word of God? Not even a little bit. In a world where slavery was one of the most entrenched institutions, the Jesus movement dared to challenge that status quo. Now, it's true that you won't find a verse in the Bible that comes out and demands freedom for all enslaved peoples immediately. And there's a reason for that, because in the time in which it was written, in Christianity would have, if it had, it would have been dismissed as just another slave revolt in the Roman Empire. However, the message is clear that slavery was an evil that could not be continued. The apostles taught the people that People were equal no matter their political status, no matter their socioeconomic status, no matter their race, no matter their gender. If you're supposed to treat people as brothers and sisters, you can't enslave them. The Bible study on Wednesday nights is, is Colossians and Philemon. I think that's as close as I'm going to get on the pronouncing it right. Philemon. You know the book of Philemon is a New Testament. Most people don't know that. And it is a letter from the Apostle Paul writing to a guy who was a Christian who also had a slave. And the, the subject of the letter was his slave had run away. And while his slave had run away, he had met Paul and became a Christian. And now Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon and with this letter. And in the letter, he says, don't receive him back as a slave. Receive him as a brother. Does that sound like... Christianity is propping up the institution of slavery to you? No. Have some people used it as a justification? Yes, but man, you can pull stuff out of the Bible and use it out of context all you want and make it sound like anything. But if you read the whole thing, man, what, what, about, the, what about the Old Testament, Mr. Preacher Guy, Mr. Smarty Pants, Mr. Bible College? What about the Old Testament? I love it when... When people who do not believe in the Bible want to pull something out of the Old Testament to prove a point. Dude, you, you said you don't believe this stuff. What you telling me? Well, the book of Leviticus says, dude, you don't believe Leviticus. Chill out. Pull it out of something else. Anyway, what about, what about the Old Testament? Understand. It's crazy. Is that not crazy to you? Somebody proved the Bible is wrong. They say the Bible is not real, and they use the Bible to prove the Bible is not real. Wait a minute. I thought you, you're pulling evidence from something you say is not real that's weird that's weird anyway what about the old testament doesn't the old testament condone slavery have you read that thing no the old testament entered the world at a time when slavery was absolutely common and it was unregulated it was unlimited if you were born a slave you would die a slave if you were born a slave, your master could do anything to you, could chop you into little pieces, and nobody could say a thing. But the law of Moses came into a world where slavery was unlimited and unregulated and limited it and regulated it and made say, hey, if you hurt your slave, you knock their eye out, they're free now. You can't do that. You cannot do that. And made a provision for all the slaves to be freed eventually. You see, you read the whole Bible, 
you read it for what it really says, and you, you see this truth that the natural result of the teaching of Jesus is the elimination of things like slavery. It was Jesus' people who were a part of that. The Jesus movement is this small seed that became a big tree to provide shelter and still is. To this day, Jesus' people are making the world a better place, helping people find freedom from addiction, breaking cycles of abuse and self-destruction, helping people when they're at their lowest. Uh, and we haven't even got to the eternal life part. That's the big stuff. Uh, all of these things are merely the ripple effects of the change that comes over people when they're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the small seed that becomes the big tree and blesses the world. Hey, hey, Recreate Church, you're a part of that story. You're a part of that story. We started as a small, small seed, just about invisible. In the summer of 2016, y'all don't even know how close I came to quitting on ministry altogether. Katie knows. <laughs> Because I'm like, I just I wish the Lord would give me some little escape patch and I would dive through it head first. Because I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't do business as usual church anymore. And, and the Lord didn't let me give up. So I'm thankful for that. God planted this tiny seed in my heart that maybe there's another way to do church. Maybe there's a way that's a little closer to what I see in the New Testament that's, man, that's not all just committees and regulations. It's more humble and simple and and built on fellowship, and built on just the core of the Bible. It looks a lot more like those first Jesus people you read about in the book of Acts. You know, the ones that seem like happy and stuff. Yeah, those guys. Uh, give me some of that. Give me a shot of that. Less than a year later, and, and I was like, oh yeah, we'll start trying that. So I kind of started trying that. But less than a year later, my time in a conventional church environment came to an end. Not really by my choice, and I was pretty devastated at the time, but let me tell you what it did. It gave the opportunity to water the seed, and the Lord pulled together a small group of people who believed that seed could grow into a tree, and recreate began to grow. I don't know if we count as a big tree yet, but we are reaching all over the world with our podcast, and we're making inroads in this community. We're making a difference. You're making a difference as a part of this team. I don't normally talk about the stuff that recreate does. Because I never want it to sound like we're bragging on, on people. And it kind of hit me this week. I, people don't really know what's being done. You know, when they give, they don't necessarily know what's, you know, what, how we're doing to help people. So can I just brag on God for a couple of minutes about some of the stuff that God's been doing? I won't brag on us. I'll, I'll try to brag on God. I mean, there's a list. This is not the whole list. These are just some things that I could think of yesterday. And the things I know about. There's some stuff that happens I don't even know about. We've provided families with groceries quite a few times. We've kept some people from getting evicted from their houses. Kept some electricity on a few times. Helped people with medical expenses. There have been women and children in abusive situations. And your giving has made it possible for them to escape those abusive situations. You're part of that. Countless rides have been given to people, either bringing them to church or taking them somewhere. We've burned up these roads with rides. At least three cars that I know of have been given away or practically given away by people in this church to folks in need. That's pretty darn cool. We've supported 
prison ministry. Some of you all helped make cookies for the Kairos prison ministry. That was pretty cool, right? Um, we supported the pregnancy center. We supported an abortion recovery ministry. We've got Christmas presents for families in need. We're beginning to host an addiction recovery ministry. We have prayed for and received miraculous healings. There's some marriages that are still marriages, partly because of the ministry of this church. There's some families that are still together because of this church. There are some lives that have been transformed through this church. I'm convinced there's a few people who are still alive today because of the ministry of this church who might have gotten to such a despairing place that they decided life wasn't worth living anymore. There's lives saved. Lasting friendships have been created. There's some good stuff happening in here. I bet there's a lot more that I can't remember. There's stuff that you're like, preacher, you're leaving this out. Okay, hey, you make your list and you share your list. And the best thing of all, souls have been saved. Souls have been saved, added to the kingdom. All that, and we've just begun. Recreate church is the small seed that is growing into a big tree. And I'm praying that, that God will make you and, and many more people part of this. Part of it. You know, some of, some of you have been around for a long time. Some of you are pretty new. And, and, and some of you are here for the very first time. I'm praying that God will bring everyone who's meant to be a part of this team. And we'll be part of this team. And we'll make this difference in this community. You're, you're a small seed, but you're a big tree. Small seed, big tree. Start small. Don't underestimate the impact that you can make. All right, we're going to have our church meeting this morning. It's going to be great. It's like, oh, that whoo, it was so good this morning, church service. All right, if it was so good, then go out there and do it too. All right, go share some kindness. You know that hateful, hateful person at work? If you don't know who that is, I hope it's not you. <laughs> Unless you got somebody. Yeah. It's like, we don't have any hateful people at my job. Well. I hope you don't. Yeah, yeah, some people. You know, everyone has got those difficult people in their lives. You go show them some kindness, patience, love. Every little bit of kindness, service, generosity, and Christian love that you share changes the world a little bit. Now, the thing is about little changes is they eventually yield big changes. And it's going to seem hopeless. It seems like a drop in the ocean every time you do the right thing when you could have done the wrong thing. When you were patient, when you could have lost it. When you were kind, when you could have been cruel. And it seems like, ah, well, it won't make a difference. Oh, it will. It will, because God will bless it. God will see it. God will multiply it. It'll be a little mustard seed, but it'll grow into a tree. Together, we, we are that mustard seed. We're that mustard seed that grows into a big tree of refuge. You know, this isn't all that Jesus said about mustard seeds. There's a more famous passage, Matthew 17. 20, if you'll pull that up for me, Janiah. Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, little bitty faith, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Have you got some mountains in the way? Oh, yeah. A little mustard seed can move a mountain? How does that work? Man, when Jesus gets in it, things happen. There's power in the name of Jesus. 
There's transformation in the name of Jesus. We can be that tiny little seed that grows into this huge thing, that tiny little bit of faith that moves a whole mountain. Now, you might look at your life right now and you don't feel like you can make a big difference. Or maybe a lot of days, it just it's a struggle to keep your head above water. Anybody else? Whew, just another day. Lord, get me through this day. Some of the stuff you go through might make you feel like your faith is so, so small. That's the thing about faith. We usually think our faith is, is like up here until we really go through some stuff and then our faith goes down here. And it's not as... The thing is, did you lose some faith? No. You, it's the stuff you thought was faith, but it was just the warm and fuzzies. And it gets burned down to the real stuff. The gold, the silver, the precious metal, the jewels. That's the real stuff. It's the cardboard faith that gets burned down when you go through the fire. The real stuff stays. So it might just be that little bit. You got that little jewel of faith. That's all, but that's all you need. That's all you got to have to start. That kind of faith can move mountains. That kind of faith is the seed that grows into the big tree. So what, what's your story today? I've told you about Recreate Story and this whole big story, the kingdom. What about you? What's the little seed of faith that needs to grow into this big thing in your life? Um, is the thing that needs to happen you trusting in Jesus as Savior? Because that's a big deal, man. We want that for you so much. Uh, if it's salvation, understand the tree is planted for you. This whole, tr- this whole thing, you know, everything we do is so people will get to know Jesus. Because we really believe that if you get in touch with Jesus, your life is going to have meaning and you'll have life after this one. And there's hope that outlasts mortality. Everything we do is to give people the best effort and be- uh, is, is in an effort to give people the best opportunity to find hope and life and peace and salvation in Jesus. Maybe you've already made that step and you need to trust him with some other stuff and you've got maybe some great big mountains in the way and you say, all I got is a little mustard seed. Okay, trust Jesus with it. You got a difficult or confusing or impossible situation? Trust Jesus with it. There's a difference that you're supposed to make and it might feel too big, but it's not. Because God's got you back. And if you trust him with that little seed, it'll grow into a big tree. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone receiving this message. That you'd give us an understanding of what this means. We may have such a small amount of faith. But I pray it will grow and grow and move that mountain. Lord, may you continue to bless, recreate. I pray you'll send everyone who's supposed to be a part of this. Every single Sunday, Lord, bring them, raise up the people who are meant to be part of this difference-making team. God, we give you the glory and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for that movement that started in a, a nowhere part of the world. And now it's come all the way to us. And may we keep that tree growing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we go, hey, if you need lunch today, go out to Skyview and pick up, pick up something. To, to go bless Donnie and his family. Awesome, amazing people. And uh, remember our movie night, December the 9th. So haven't exactly decided on a movie. So, But there's some good options, all right? Lucy says no three-hour-long movies. She said, 
Michael, you realize if we do a three-hour-long movie, we'll be staying up, like, late, like, past 10 o'clock. And I'm like, I don't do past 10 o'clock. Y'all, I don't do no 10 o'clock stuff. Come on. My wife and my kids are like, are you going to bed already? I said, it's like, it's late. I pick on my parents. I knock on the door at like 7.30 and say, y'all still up? And Dad said, no, we went to bed a half an hour ago. <laughs> but, so, that's, that's a joke. I used to make fun of my parents for that stuff. No longer. <laughs> Welcome to middle age. It's every bit as fun as you've been led to believe. All right, God bless you guys. I'm not going to hold you any longer. Hope you have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed day. And we'll see you next time.